Uh, Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad you're joining us for our study of God's Word, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church, Arco, Idaho, and also Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study here as well. As we continue our series, we started last Sunday called Reconnect. Uh, Let's start with this. We are more connected than ever before. In seconds, we can move around the world and take ourselves into virtually any room other than the one we are currently in. Dinner tables text, but don't talk. Friends surf, but can't relate. We remain trapped in a cycle of more notifications and less interactions, more texts and less laughter, more streaming and less eye contact. We are exhausted by the possibilities at our fingertips. And the treadmill is only getting faster. But what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if we were intentional? What if technology could enable us to pursue relationships rather than avoid them? What would our families look like? What would our friendships look like? What would it look like to use technology with purpose? What would it look like to reconnect? Michael, come here, and I'm going to tease you for a second. This is our guy. This is the guy that sets everything up here in the dark. You never see him in the light because his deeds are done in darkness, all right? And so let's hear it for Michael. And, and, and what I want to just say is I, I said to him, and I said, what do you got out there? You got my cell phone out there. You got my glasses, my daytimer. He says, and that other thing, whatever that is. He said, I, you know, this is called a telephone. It's what we use, in the, the pilgrims and I use this. Uh, this is what Paul called Timothy on, if they had to talk about ministry matters, okay? Oh, it's here for Michael. Had to tease him, had to tease him. Whew. All right. Now, I'm going to show you. Uh, we, we did this last, Tomiko had this up here last Sunday, and asked the question. I'm going to ask it again. How many of you... Um, have used one of these before. Let me see your hands. Okay, my hand is up. Okay, for those of you who have never used one, let me show you how long it took to make a phone call back in the day, all right? Here's, I'm going to dial my home number, uh, area code included, uh, for Prince George, Virginia. So this is my phone number. It was one eight oh four seven three two. Three, one, one, nine. That's how long it took. Now, now we've exchanged that uh, for this right here uh, for our smartphone. And oh my goodness, has it taken over our lives? 40% of average Americans uh, check their phones within five minutes of waking up. Uh, 50% of us check it in the middle of the night. Um, The average American touches their phone. This one seems hard to believe, but it's, it's like, you know, I got it on the internet. It's got to be true, right? Okay. <laughs> Average American uses this. No, this is actual research. 2,617 times how many we touch it, not use it. We touch this 2,617 times a day. For the millennial generation, for millennials, they spend three and a half hours per day on social media. Now, I am the least technically savvy 
of anybody on, on, on our staff. I, I am the technophobe. Uh, Pastor Eric, it was funny, he was preaching uh, for Easter Sunday. And he texts me a few days before Easter. He says, Glenn, do you mind if I use my iPad for my sermon notes to preach on Easter Sunday? And I didn't want to be outdone by one of the younger pastors. So I said, sure, I'm going to use my Apple Watch for my notes on <laughs> Easter Sunday. So you can you imagine me up there, you know, scrolling through my uh, sermon outline, not to be outdone. But even though I'm probably the least technically savvy of, of, of all of our uh, pastors and all of our staff, I love my smartphone. I can't imagine life without it. It has been so helpful to me. As I said last Sunday, it makes me a better pastor. It makes our church more effective. Uh, It makes me a better preacher, which begs the question, how bad could it be? And I would be even dumber without my smartphone. And so it makes me a better preacher. I mean, it just helps in every area of life. It is a gift from God technology is to the church of Jesus Christ in these later latter days before Jesus returns to reach the world for Christ. Christianity is fastest growing movement, biggest movement in all world history, and it's, its fastest growing time is right now, and I believe one of the reasons is because of technology, that we're leveraging technology to reach our world for Christ. So it is a tremendous gift, but it certainly has a downside. And so what we're looking at is biblical principles to use technology in a way that honors God and that advances and is effective in our lives without it using us. To control it without it controlling us. To to use it for effectiveness without the downside of of some of the things that we're going to be talking about. And there are very clear biblical principles for how to keep that balance. So today we're going to talk about how to be content in an Instagram culture. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8. Paul is writing to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's just hold that there for a second. Can we go back to that? Let's read that out loud together. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Uh, This was written by Paul to Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor that Paul was mentoring. And he was pastor in a city called Ephesus. Uh, which is in today what is today the nation of Turkey. And it's just a, an amazing work, uh, place of antiquity. I mean, you could just go back there now, and it's as if they all just walked out 2,000 years ago and just left it standing. It's just incredible. It was a beautiful city. It uh, has a library, terrace houses on the hillside, a huge theater uh, with the latest shows, huge marketplace the size of two football fields side by side. It really is comparable to New York City uh, today. And yet Paul writes to this affluent, wealthy city and writes them and says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, discontentment and envy and coveting, it's been a problem way before smartphones. This didn't bring it in. It's been there for forever. And yet people believe it's, it's, it's never been a bigger problem than today. Discontentment is more rampant today than ever before. I mean, think about it. People have never had more stuff than they have today. We're probably, you know, average American is probably the wealthiest 0.001% in world history. I mean, think about it. A, Middle, a king in the Middle Ages didn't have a personal computer. A dictator in the 1700s uh, didn't have a car or didn't have the resources or air conditioning or refrigeration uh, like we have. So never before have people had so much, and yet we want so much more. And some sociologists are saying that social media is one of the biggest driving causes for discontentment uh, within our lives. 
So we want to ask the question, uh, why your smartphone may be making you less happy. Now, I want to make it clear, as I did last Sunday, this is not an anti-technology um, series. Uh, technology has tremendous positive force within our life. It's not an anti-technology series. It's not an anti-technology sermon. Now, why your smartphone may be making you less happy. Number one, we compare our images. We compare our images to each other. We look at uh, other people's lives. They look so perfect. Uh, they're putting on their best image. Uh, their wife or their boy, boyfriend or their girlfriend or your uh, husband, they look so perfect online. Their makeup is perfect. Their body is perfect. Uh, their kids are perfect. Uh, Stephen Furtick uh, writes, we're comparing our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels. Isn't that a great line? We're comparing online our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels. We feel like losers because we see the best of their best and we know the worst of our worst. By the way, a little side commercial here. We got some great marriage opportunities uh, this month. Just absolutely outstanding. If, you, if you're pre-married, uh, there's the merge class, pre-marriage class. It's going on right now, but you can catch it next week at the 945 hour. Just love for you to catch that. Just great for pre-marriage couples. Uh, this, uh, Steve Furtick and his wife are on video with our marriage enrichment classes that meet at 830, 945, and 1111, identical classes, all three, uh, sir, uh, all three hours. And he and his wife are going to be teaching that uh, via video. That's a great opportunity. The marriage conference that's coming up this Saturday. Awesome opportunity. Uh, Reconnect is all about reconnecting with God and reconnecting with each other and reconnecting husbands with wives and wives with husbands. And so take advantage of these. But I just love that phrase. We're comparing our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels. Uh, Number two, we compare our popularity. We've never before been able to accurately measure our popularity. Remember when you're in high school and you're all insecure or junior high and you're just like, you kind of wonder, how popular or how unpopular uh, am I anyway? Well, now we've got numbers to go with it. Uh, I've only got 287 followers and she's got 492 followers. Or my picture only got 17 likes and his got 172 likes. And there we have our popularity measured right there numerically, mathematically. Asina O'Neill is a 19-year-old Australian, and she was an Instagram sensation, accumulated a half a million followers, but she made headlines recently by walking away, just shutting it down. She deleted most of her pictures, took a break, and just walked away from it. And here's what she said. I spent ages 12 through 16 wishing I was someone else. I spend ages 16 through 19 constantly molding myself, editing and self-promoting the, quote, best parts of my life. I simply no longer want to compare my life with anyone else's edited highlights. I want to put all those hours I looked into a screen into my real-life goals, personal relationships, and aspirations. And so we compare our popularity, we compare our images, and thirdly, we compare our experiences. Uh, Researchers have discovered that the more time you spend on Facebook, the more depressed you're likely to be. And sociologists call this phenomena a, of social comparison, a social comparison. Um, we went to vacation on vacation to Barstow. Uh, they went to Europe. And so, you know, the Gundersons went to Barstow and the Facebook friends went to Europe. Uh, we go to Chuck E. Cheese once a year. They go to Disneyland every weekend. 
Uh, we celebrated our anniversary at Panera. Uh, they went to Pomona Valley Mining Company. And the, the list just like goes on and on. And this happens to all of us. Uh, you feel really good that your kid got a C in math. And then you click on an email. And you read that your neighbor's kid got straight A's in everything. Uh, you're really feeling good that your grass seed finally sprouted. And there's only about 25% of your lawn is weeds now. Just down to 25%. And then you open up your Instagram and see that your friend from high school uh, just rolled out sod. And so it just goes on and on. You feel good that you gained only five pounds over the holidays. You find out your friend on Facebook lost five pounds during the holidays. And so we compare our images, we compare our popularity, we compare our experiences. So we want to ask this question. Is your smartphone causing you to break the 10th commandment, which is thou shalt not covet? Uh, this word uh, coveting is the opposite of contentment. Contentment is the opposite of coveting. And literally, the word to covet means to pant after, to pant after something. Uh, think of your dog on a long hike on, in late August. Think how your dog pants. Uh, we have a 120-pound St. Bernard named Millie, and we have to be very careful with her on hikes because she pants and pants, and then there's a certain point where she just drops, and she's not moving another step. And how do, Carrie, how do Kimberly and I carry 120-pound St. Bernard back to where we are? So we, we got to watch it because we can be two miles away from home. And uh, Millie just drops and uh, just says, I'm not going any further. So think of your dog on a hot summer day after a long walk, panting after something. That's what the word covet means. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not pant after your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to, to, belongs to your neighbor. We've actually found Instagram posts from 1500 B.C. And, and here's one of them here. Ox farmer, uh, check out my new oxen. That would cause a lot of jealousy right there, I'm telling you. Or the next post that they put on Instagram, or my new donkey. There you go, and you put that on there, and you're like, man, I wish I had um, one of those. That looks like the donkey in Shrek, doesn't it? It does look like that uh, particular uh, donkey. Let's watch this together.
loving pizza. I'll give you ice cream. It's just a better fit. So you don't even know that. Well, it does. Okay, so. Mom, clean the house now. Thank you, Kayla. Well, we want pizza. Well, we're not having pizza. Okay, let's spend the remainder of our time talking about the five biblical secrets from God's word of contentment. Secret number one, contentment takes the strength of God. And we looked at this just a few weeks ago when we finished up the Philippians series. So you know what I feel? You know, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like a similar topic. But I'm like, well, God must really think we need work on it, all right? Because he's given us the same thing, at least this part of it, um, two times in the last month. Contentment takes the strength of God. Philippians chapter 4. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. It's something we learn with God's help. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I can do all this through Him who gives me, God who gives me the strength. Uh, The key to contentment is not a when everything is perfect or what's going on in my life. It is a who. It is a person, and his name is Jesus. That's why Steve and Kristen's song was like so absolutely perfect uh, for this. I, I don't want anything if I can't have you. Uh, our joy is in him. Our real contentment comes from a relationship, a living relationship with him. John Pipe, Piper said that uh, he is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him and him alone. Augustine, who was a pastor in 400 AD, says, Our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in thee. We've got a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And nothing will fill that except a living relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it is through him who gives me the strength. In that relationship, we have supernatural strength to find the contentment that we're so often uh, looking after. Now, this verse is often misapplied. We talked about this a few weeks ago in, in Philippians, that we often apply it to say, I can do amazing things through him who gives me strength. And you know what? I don't want to take that away. I think that is a certain application, that God does help you to do things you never thought possible. And so I do believe that. But in context, that's not what it means. In context, its primary meaning is is that he supernaturally gives us the ability uh, to find contentment regardless of of our circumstances. It doesn't mean that uh, with him, with his strength, uh, we always win and and we never lose. Evander Holyfield was one of the great uh, fighters of all time. And when he became a Christ follower, he committed his life to Christ, he had some special uh, robe made that looked like this that had Philippians 4.13 on it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he was a young Christian, and so he probably thought, you know what, with this, with this robe, I'm not going to lose to anybody. And it worked out for a while. He fought Mike Tyson, and even though Mike Tyson bit his ear off, he still defeated him and was able to get the heavyweight championship and uh, beat him in the rematch as well. That's when the ear, the infamous biting of the ear incident took place. Uh, but then he wore it again against Lennox Lewis, and Lennox Lewis defeated him this time. And so it doesn't mean that you'll always win and you'll never lose. It it means there again, we're back to that question we started with, what fills you up? What fills you up? And it is not a when everything's perfect in your life. It is not a what's going on in your life. It is a who. And in Jesus, as we have that living relationship with him, then all of a sudden he will give us the supernatural ability to be content regardless of what we're going through in life. And then secret number two, 
Comparison is the great destroyer of contentment. And you know, I talk about this a lot because I just think it is the thing that robs more people of joy than anything else. I think we feel joy to know that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And, and he's blessed us in so many ways. But discontentment, our contentment gets destroyed when we start comparing that with other people. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Solomon writes, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is, is meaningless. And sociologists have told us in their research that it's not how much you have, it's how much you have compared to the people around you. And so we as average Americans, if we were put in a very poor area of the world, we would be more grateful because we compared to everybody around us, we would have so much. But because we're in the context in which we are, in which some people have less than us, some people have the same amount as us, and some have more than us, it leads to discontentment through comparison. Uh, you would think that just having God have a mission, a plan for our lives, a purpose for our lives, that that would be enough to give us joy. I mean, think of that. The creator of the universe has a special plan for your life. There's never been another one like you. There never will be another one like you. There's you and only you are unique and God has a mission for you to fulfill. And you would think that would bring joy and contentment enough. And yet we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves because even Peter, who God gave a, a mission to, an assignment to, even he was discontented when he compared it to what God had done for somebody else. Uh, Jesus has just given him his assignment. And you think, my goodness, Jesus just personally talked to me and said, Peter, I need you. Here's my plan for your life. Here's my purpose, my mission for you. You would think, game over. You know, I'm, I'm contented. But look at what he does. Peter turned after Jesus said this to him and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's, that's John who wrote the book of John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? So he turns from this conversation with Jesus, looks at John. When Peter saw me, he asked, well, Lord, what about him? I'm not going to determine if I'm happy with your plan for my life until I see how it compares to your plan uh, for, somebody, for somebody else's life. Uh, Andy Stanley uh, has written, uh, there is no win in comparisons. There's no win in comparisons. No, secret number three, uh, content people enjoy what God has given them. First Timothy 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world. Remember, as average Americans, we're in the top .0001% of all humans that have ever lived, uh, not to be arrogant, uh, nor to put their hope in wealth. Don't put your hope in that, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy it. Uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 15, All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. You know people like that, don't you? That always feel oppressed. They're always, it's too cold, or it's too hot, or oh, the weather's not right, or oh, this thing's happening in the world, or oh, that thing's happening in the world. And the, 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 the days of the oppressed are wretched. They're just always down on everything. The glass is always half empty for them. I remember our son, um, Andrew, he was about eight or nine years old when we moved here to California. And we had lived near Syracuse, New York, which is, has the most cloudy days of any city in America. It's got even Seattle beat. Most cloudy days in America is Syracuse, New York. 
And so we moved here to Southern California. And, you know, I think we'd all be so happy about it. And my little boy comes out and he goes, it's too bright. It's too bright. It's just like bright all the time here. Okay. And so sometimes we find something to, and we've teased him about that ever since. I think just yesterday we were at a birthday party and Kimberly teased him about, hey, it's so bright uh, here uh, where, where you live in Palmdale. So at any rate, uh, it, it, you, we know that those people uh, that just always looking on the downside, but those for whom the glass is half full. And you know, I've used that in illustration so many times. Everybody's glass is half full. Nobody's is completely full. It's all half full. We've all got stuff that God has blessed us with, and we've got areas that we wish God would bless us with that he has not. And we can make a choice. We can either choose to focus on the empty half of what God has not done for us with bitterness and wretchedness, feeling oppressed our whole lives, or we can focus on the full half of the glass. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. Whether you eat a hamburger or whether you eat filet mignon, you have a continual feast. Whether you eat chicken soup or whether you have pot roast, the cheerful heart has a continual uh, feast because we focus on what God has done for us with, with gratitude. Dane Ocker uh, writes, contentment flows from a heart of gratitude. Discontentment flows from a heart that is never uh, satisfied. And then secret number four, content people rejoice for what God has given to others. And this is the hard part. Uh, here's an anonymous uh, quote. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Can I make a confession to you? We're all friends here so we can be open and vulnerable. It's a lot easier to mourn with those who mourn than to rejoice with those who rejoice, isn't it? It's hard. And yet that's part of the strength of God, the supernatural ability he gives us in order to be satisfied with what God has given us and rejoice in that and to rejoice in what he's done for other people as well. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. In Matthew 20, there's just a fascinating story Jesus told. It's called the parable of the workers. And so this farmer goes out and he hires a bunch of guys at 6 in the morning and says, look, will you work for a denarius? And a denarius back then was the typical fair amount that you give to a person for a day's work. And they said, sure. I mean, they were happy to get a day's work. Yeah, bring it on. That's great. And so they go out. He goes back at 9 in the morning and hires some more workers, and he tells them, I'll give you what's fair. Then he goes back at noon and, and, and gets some more workers. I'll give you what's fair. 3 in the afternoon, get, hire some more workers, give you what's fair. 5 in the afternoon, quitting time was 6 in the evening. One hour before quitting time, says, I'll give you what's fair. Uh, at 6 o'clock, they, they line them up to give them their payment. They start from the latest to the, to the earliest. And so the guys that came at 5 o'clock only worked an hour, got a denarius. The people that came at 3, denarius. Noon, denarius. 9 in the morning, denarius. The guys that were hired at 6 said, this is awesome. We're going to so get more than a denarius. They get a denarius. And they're unhappy about it because they're like, my goodness, hey. And, and here's, here's what the owner says to him. He answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. 
Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? You see, a denarius is like heaven. If God has given us heaven, everything else is icing on the cake. If we are on our way to heaven, uh, then a fellow Christ follower on their way to heaven, anything he does with the cake decorations and, and what he puts on the top and how thick the frosting is and, and what the design is on the top, that's icing on the cake. The cake is heaven. And we should be grateful for that and rejoice in how he works in other people's lives uh, as well. And then secret number five, content people admire without having to acquire. Uh, one of the big problems with social media is that we see what others have. And instead of being happy for them, we end up thinking we've got to buy or experience the exact same thing. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, Jesus, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of, of possessions. He says, watch out. Be on your guard uh, for needing to have everything that you see. Jessica Maya uh, who's uh, Jessica Mai, who uh, writes for Business Insider. She says it takes a lot less effort to shop online. We can shop when we're tired, we can shop when we're emotional, and we can shop instantly. But just like how retailers use tricks to make us spend more at brick-and-mortar stores, there are also tricks they use to make us spend more on their websites. Uh, they remind you of items that you may have forgotten. Uh, they offer free shipping after a certain price point. Uh, they make the checkout process as easy as possible. They create ads that stalk you. And so ways to watch out, ways to be on our guard, as Jesus said. Uh, continually unsubscribe from email lists. Use an ad blocker. Don't save your credit card information uh, online. I remember uh, the story of Snow White from uh, Disney. And uh, remember her, uh, the, the evil witch uh, who looked into the mirror and said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Uh, our phones have become the new mirror. Uh, the question we ask is, mirror, mirror on the wall, what do people think of me? Mirror, mirror on the wall, how do I compare to others? Mirror, mirror on the wall, am I really successful? Mirror, mirror on the wall, do I really matter? And if you look to social media to bring contentment, satisfaction, and fulfillment, you're going to be just like that queen, full of jealousy and resentment and bitterness. God said in Hebrews 13, verse 5, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Uh, you have a God that loves you. You have a God that says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You have a God that will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And so I want to end with the same question we started with. What fills you up? I want to give you one practical thing. And it's the same one I did last week, and I won't do it next week. I'm not going to keep bugging you on this, because rooted groups start this week. But if you've never been a part of a rooted group, if you've never gone through that 10-week experience that really is just awesome, uh, I'm asking you, you know, I'm not asking anything drastic. Maybe God's going to lead you to drastically cut back on social media because of this series. Maybe he will. But I'm not asking you to do that. I mean, if God leads you to do it, do it. But here is a great first step. This, just do one thing. Just take one step so that it doesn't control us so much, but that we're in control of the technology and the social media of our lives.
And if you've never done rooted, this is an awesome first step. You take an hour and a half a week for 10 weeks. That's 15 hours over the next 10 weeks. And take 15 hours over the next 10 weeks of social media time and invest it in a rooted group to connect with other people and to connect with God. And that will be 15 hours of exchanging social media, meeting our different, deepest longings, to God and relationships with others, doing that, which is far more fulfilling and far more lasting.